hope, resurrection in the face of death. If I can just vent a bit here. The question is, what is right in the sight of God? Church is essential to being a human. Welcome, welcome everyone to another episode of Irreverence. I'm the Reverend Jamie Franklin and I'm very, very happy and excited to say this week that I have with me two of my regular co-hosts, the only two in fact, uh, Reverend uh, TJ Pelham and of course Daniel French, who is back. Who is this person? I barely, barely recognise him after such a long time. It's good. No, do you know what? Um, It's like having... It's good to see, you know, you get that same feeling as a really nice old armchair, you know, where you can sit back and you know that you're going to be comforted and supported by the armchair. That's Except what it's like there's having. a few odd springs in this one. <laughs> one that no. sort of springs into the back of it. No, yeah. no, it's not. It's like, do you know what the most comfortable armchair in the world is? The Sherlock chair from Next at Home, which is yeah. where I'm often deposited by my wife when we go shopping at Next at Home. I have no idea what they sell in Next at Home. I do know that they have a really nice armchair. That's a great, that's a great anecdote, Tom, and I'm sure we're really <laughs> appealing to the, to the yeah, we, the 40 let's not age go demographic. Into, yeah. that one. Let, let's oh, not go into the, um, is it man crushing of Tom? Yeah. <laughs> you know, ramble. Somebody said on, I was doing all the reviews on, I think it was on iTunes, somebody said, there's some good content in this show, but there's a lot of waffle to begin with. <laughs> Suggest the hosts catch up with each other before they record the show and then <laughs> concentrate on what matters. But which I thought was a bit harsh, to be honest with you. But um, in any case, no, it is, it is, it is um, great to have you, Daniel, uh, back once again. The Reverend Daniel French uh, in sunny Solcombe. I, I expect it's very, very nice there. Oh, it's lovely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's nice here as well. Um, chaps, you know, how's, how's everyone doing? Tom, let's come around to you first. How, how are you doing, Tom? How are you? I'm very well, thank you, Jamie. I've been, uh, I've been busy rigging uh, model ships. You can see an example behind me, actually, sort of proudly. On the side. It's, uh, it's a model of the Cutty Sark, but uh, I've been... Uh, that's, that's key. It's keeping me going, uh, Jamie, Rapid through ship. these times. Yeah. Sorry? It's a classic ship. Class- it is very classic. Um, beautiful lines, uh, just a, an age of romance and uh, and you know danger. Yeah. Those uh, yeah, those 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 voyages, you know, were not um, were not easy, but they were worthwhile. Anyway, there it is, the Cutty Sark, beautiful ship. You can go see it in Greenwich, can't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. I, I mean, I'm finding I find history a real escape from the times we're living in. You know, um, just just when things weren't, you know. I'm, you know, I don't mean to be really negative just right at the beginning of the episode, but just when this wasn't happening, you know, that's one of the reasons I like watching. And I know I'm going I'm to mention it for a second week in a row, but that's one of the re- reasons I like watching Downton Abbey. It's just it's just a, it's just a simpler time. I know there was the world war and everything, but do you know what I mean? It was just it was just a simpler time where you knew where you were. And of course, there were people who were, you know, some people were sort of poorer and some people were richer and so on. But there was an order to things. And now it's, it's like, sounding it's sounding very Victorian there, Jamie. It's sort of you know that that sort of forbidden verse of uh, of all things bright and beautiful. You know the the rich man in his castle, the the beggar at his gates. Uh, but well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> but the thing is, Tom, what we're heading towards is a system 
uh, which is which is way worse than than, <laughs> than the system at the beginning of the 20th century, isn't it? A kind of uh, a technocratic elitist aristocracy. Absolutely, Jamie. 99.9% of the population of the world is as uh, serfs. It's kind of in a, caught in a neo-serfdom in, in the midst of a, a biosecurity state. I mean, I'd rather live, I'd rather be a, a servant in Downton Abbey than a, uh, a neo-serf in a biosecurity state, personally. I don't know about I you. They had, they had to get rid of the dog, didn't they? Because it was called Isis, which I think <laughs> initially had Egyptian connotations. Yeah. And yeah. then later on, the point they had very unfortunate... Um, well, yeah. well, absolutely. In, in Oxford, you, those those who are yeah, familiar with Oxford know that the Thames, as it goes through Oxford, is called the Isis, who I think was an Egyptian fertility goddess uh, brought by the Romans, uh, brought into the yeah. sort of Roman pantheon. And um, there's a removal company in Oxford called Isis Removals <laughs> as well, which is, you know... Oh, there's, an, there's a trading yeah. estate called Isis Estate, isn't there? Um, oh, there's all sorts of things. Yeah, all over the place. Um, all sorts of things. Yeah, yeah, I know. I thought the river in Oxford was called the River Cherwell, but maybe there are two. There's the, Thames, the Thames is called Isis, and the Cherwell joins the Thames, I think, just at Magdalen, doesn't it? It's very good uh, fluminological knowledge. I probably made that I word know. up. I think, well, I think there's an adjective uh, more, pertaining to rivers. Which the, yeah, I'm sure there is. Um, flu, fluvial is, is the, the name for the, the, uh, um, the, the deposits of a river, isn't it? Fluvial deposits. So um, I'm sure um, I'm sure you're right. It sounds it sounds plausible. Okay. I mean, uh, well, don't say you're sure I'm right because I might not be. Um, let's let's not go too too far down that rabbit hole. Let's, <laughs> let's tell people what we're going to be doing in this episode because I think last time uh, we were you in particular, Tom, were talking quite a lot about films that were nominated for the best the best film uh, Oscar in 1994. Which well, that was you. That was made, you, Jamie. But made, that. that was a bit too obscure. So anyway, so today we're going to be talking about all sorts of stuff. So we're recording, I mean, in the week when uh, the um, lockdown in the UK has been extended. Um, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about a bit about how that affects weddings and the church. And then we're going to talk a little bit about um, the whole vaccination thing and what's going on there, ethics and uh, other issues pertaining to it, compulsory vaccination and so on. And then we're going to finish with an email if we've got time, which is something completely different. So just so everyone knows, the whole show is not going to be dominated by COVID lockdowns, uh, vaccines and so on. Um, we're going to have something, we're going to have a little twist at the end. So so um, that's, that's, that's where we're going. Um, Shall we? What should we do? Shall we? Shall we turn to scripture now, or should we? Should we introduce the main topic th- of the show? I think we need to talk uh, before scripture. I think we need to talk about um, about Monday. Yes, I think we do. I think we do. I don't really want another, to because another, it, I'm still another bad. Another bad Monday. There have been many of them in the last eighteen months. Mm-hmm. So, Tom, did you watch? Did you watch the coverage? <laughs> tell tell I, our listeners what happened. Well, I don't think I, I probably don't have to tell our listeners what happened because I'm sure you're all aware of it. But of course, Boris Johnson, flanked by the prophets of doom, uh, Valance and Witty, Witty, yeah, that's right, isn't it? I'm, yeah, I, I, I was almost almost gave them their nicknames, which is unbalanced and witless, isn't it? They're, they're well, known the, as the, uh, the BBC <laughs> a few months back. Um, whoever types up the subtitles got one thing wrong. They put it put um, Christ witty, which I, I thought had um, was a sort of Freudian slip extraordinaire. Yeah, yeah. I mean that. I mean, quite notably, like Boris looks awful, doesn't he? Um, mm. Boris Johnson just looks. I, he looks I, I've he looks, not seen him, Tom. 
Um, Jamie, he looks like a um, like an extra in The Walking Dead. Um, his his skin is sort of sloughing off his face, and you know it's 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 quite horrific. I don't know what what has happened to him, but I'm beginning to wonder if he's been animated by some awful necromantic spell, um, maybe like by Neil Ferguson. Um, and that was an strength, wasn't it? Um, the, oh no, no, the uh, the, the second. No, 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 no. It's that hideous strength with the with the with the head of the scientist. Oh yes. Um, yeah. No, I think you'll find the reanimated corpse though that actually walks around and does stuff as in Paralandra. Oh, you are right. Yes, that's the, second, the, um, yeah. the second of the C.S. Lewis um, space trilogy. Um, just for but, people who, just for people who... There's a, there's a, <laughs> but for Whovians, if I remember rightly, there's a, um, uh, th there was a series of monsters in the Christopher Eccleston series that took over Downing Street. Oh, yeah, yeah you're right, weren't they? Yes, and they but sort of squeeze. Slovenians. No, well, uh, Slo Slovenians. No, that's a, that's a, that's a country, isn't it? Slovenians. It wasn't Slovenians. Yes, don't say <laughs> that, Tom. <laughs> we don't want to alienate our Slovenian fan base this early in the show. Uh, much. We've already alienated the Swedes. Uh, well, the Swedes. Have they stopped listening? Sorry, Kevin. And um, <laughs> the. Um, I'll have to look yeah. that one up. They they take they take they take they they slip into the bodies, don't they? And they um and they they try and declare nuclear war on each and, other. And the only way you can tell them is that they 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 suffer from flatulence. <laughs> they do, don't they? It's very funny. Um, and their skin does look it, it all looks a bit yeah pale and waxy. They're uncomfortable in their skin. Yeah, well Boris Johnson anyway looks like um someone out of the invasion of the body snatchers or something. He he looks very unwell. Mm -hmm. Um he. Uh, and he stood up there with his haggard eyes and his in his flapping jowls and uh and, and stared us in the face and said uh i need you to uh to do another four weeks another push just another four weeks um and then proceeded to um to to get to sort of hand over to his um his two controllers uh who who went through a series of misleading graphs uh designed to once again terrify and put the threat out of proportion. I mean, there's a wonderful post on lockdown skeptics, which which is run by, which is given, which is done by a senior NHS doctor, which um, goes through these and shows how an awful lot of them are. It's an old trick they, they use um, percentage increases to make it look like a massive increase, uh, but when actually in in, in real terms, uh, numbers are still very low. Um, they're below the ones, the numbers that the government expected uh, when they announced their roadmap. And that and that's particularly galling. I mean, you know, they, they, when they were when they did their roadmap, they made the modelers do some um, some predictions. Uh, presumably, given that they seem to believe those modelers and everything, they they assumed those predictions were correct. Uh, and um, they uh, the predictions, as it happens, were <laughs> surprise, surprise, wildly wrong, uh, far too high. The the lowest one is 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 more than double the number. Um, of, of deaths and, and cases we're getting so but despite the fact that we're under the predicted uh, cases we are required to do another four weeks of lockdown um and those of you who are saying well it's not really lockdown we can sort of live our lives stop saying those sort of things that I mean, i'm sure actually none of our listeners are but you you know when you hear someone say it say stop there stop there you know two years ago this sort of um uh this sort of attack on our liberty would have been considered outrageous. Um, it's not convinced. I'm not convinced it even does anything. We know the rule of six didn't do anything back in, in September. That was quite publicly announced. Um, 
they are they're pointless uh, and outrageous limits on our liberty and until and, and life just isn't back to normal you know you can't sing in choirs you can't bell ring in more than six people you know, as, you know go back to one of my hobbies um people are still wearing absurd masks around the place uh, we're not back to normal and and the reasons for doing so are are, are frankly absurd yeah, I mean, I think that the, the problem now really is that we're, we're sort of stuck in a cycle, aren't we, where we, we, can't, we can't get out of it. And there have been people who have been saying this since the beginning, which is once you, once you accept the logic around this situation, then it basically means you're, you're trapped in it because you can't get rid of the virus. The, whole, the logic is kind of predicated on this idea that what we need to do is, you know, do all these measures to reduce the prevalence and then the vaccine will come and wipe out the virus. Um, but that's not really, we don't have that level of control over viruses. So we, we're now in this, I mean, I don't like, just to be clear, I'm not, I don't really believe this stuff about the Delta variant and all this kind of stuff and how, you know, it's a ra it's an arms race between the virus and the vaccine. I just think that that's, I think that that's nonsense to be honest with you, but, but, um, but nevertheless, it's still indicative of this idea that what we're doing now is we're kind of waging a war with this virus, trying to, trying to eliminate it. And, um, and the, the, the price we, the price we must pay is this, is to live in this kind of uh, political dystopia uh, where we are being constantly controlled by the government. Um, and it's, it's really, I mean, I, I, you know, I said this a number of weeks ago, that the June 21st thing won't happen. Um, it's the same, the same um, psychological technique has been employed all, all throughout this thing, which is that they get your hopes up, let you get close to the deadline when you think something good is going to happen uh, in order to get you to conform. And then they delay it for whatever reason. I mean, we've seen these reasons uh, change, but essentially that's been the same pattern. Um, it's behavioural psychology. Uh, it's, an, it's a psychological operation, which we talked about obviously extensively uh, last week with Laura Dodsworth, and we've mentioned it in other episodes as well. So I've lost trust in the government. I just don't believe them. And you might, I mean, people watching this might think, well, that's, that sort of maybe that's too cynical or something but um honestly if you if you think that read laura dodsworth's book and see how the government have employed behavioral psychology in order to get people to to conform and to behave in the way that they want them to come uh, to to behave to keep these rules they've they've employed the same strategy over and over again and the science is being used in order to in order to manipulate people. I, I don't really know, I don't really know how else to say it. So yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't listen to it anymore because I've lost trust in it. In the same way, you know, if you were to draw an analogy, would you have like a battered wife or something and the husband keeps lying and saying, well, you know, this is the case when it's really not in order to get the, the battered wife to, to be under his control. Eventually you just stop listening and you say, well, I just don't trust you. You've lost my trust. Yeah. And you can invoke science as much as you like, and you can you can produce these models as much as you like. But I'm just not listening anymore. I won't I won't listen because I, I just think it's I just think it's lies. And um, you know, as I say, if anyone's sort of cynical about that, um, really, you know, read read Laura Dodsworth's book, and you know, the evidence is all there. And I, and I just I just, a lot of the an awful lot of the um, 
the sort of restrictions that we're under have this problem, don't they? That there's no there's no logical way out of them. I mean, I, I read a very good article back in in um, July or last year, um, which was about face masks. It was basically pointed out that, and I think it's quite prophetic, really. The moment you say face masks are mandated, uh, you, you just there's no you can't at any point say, oh, we well, we don't want you to wear them anymore. Um, because there, there's always going to be some sort of just-in-case reason for them. And we see this with, with um, Susan, Susan Mitchell, don't we? The, uh, the member mm-hmm. of SAGE who... who um, what's her name, sorry? Mitchie. Her name is Susan Mickey, yeah. Mickey. So I, I keep calling her Susan. If there is a Susan Mitchell out there, I'm really sorry that I've been, uh, you know, for, for the last... Slandering, slandering you for the last um, six months. Um, anyway, she's... Uh, She's, she's come out and said we need we might need or you know she can see the, the need for these things to continue for um for the uh for, you know forever effectively um well i mean tom she didn't i mean to be fair to her she did give a subsequent email um email interview with freddie says where she um where she clarified what she meant by by that she didn't quite say it wasn't quite as simple as her saying we have to carry on with all of these things forever and that's a good idea. So I'm just switching my camera because my other one is causing my thing to run slowly. Um, but I mean, she, she is very much in that direction. You know, she didn't say we should have a lockdown forever because that would be absurd, but she, she very much favors that kind of collectivist um, totalitarian approach to the situation. We yeah. might want to say here as a little footnote that, she is a self-confessed member of the Communist Party, yeah. who is currently advising the British government, which is conservative. Yes. Uh, and, you know, there, there's an irony in that, isn't there? That you, it seems you, odd. Rash, it seems really odd that well, communist, um, who apparently has the nickname Stalin's nanny. Which, which is alarming, isn't it? Because... Um, has so much control. I, so, I, I, I can't. I, how is this a conservative government? It's, it's crazy. The really weird thing is, and, and you've got to think that it's probably um, deliberate, because not only are they given control by being on the committees and obviously being listened to by the government, um, they seem to be allowed to brief the press on their own, off their own back, and say whatever they like as a way of increasing the pressure on the government. Now, I'm sorry, but if I had advisors who did that, they would not be my advisors for very long at all. In fact, they, they, they would cease to be my advisors the moment they tried to put external pressure on me like that. Um, and, I, and I think, you know, I, I don't know of any other government in the world where this is happening, where, where advice, not, not politicians. It, it, is, it is happening, Tom. It's happening in the US. It's happening in Germany. It's okay. all over the place. But, but I mean, what, what on earth, you know, okay, not, maybe not in any other, but what other situation have we had where, where government yeah. advisors are just going to the press, mouthing off about whatever they like, the press accepting it unconditionally, and then using that in a feedback loop back to the government? Um, you know, and there, there are all these feedback loops going on and on, and the government is, is terrifying itself, and we know that. And, and you know, and it's, it's terrified the population, and now you get... Um, the population terrifying the government you know it keeps going round and round and round it's run by these same people they've lost yeah. control of the narrative they've lost it i mean just to go back to susan mickey if you listen and i'll put i mean everyone knows who freddie says and unheard is anyway but i'll put a link on the uh, the show notes but um 
if you listen to it, I think it's a real sort of sleight of hand because um, lots of the in interview is about her opinion about the virus and, and how to control it and things like that. Um, but she states in the interview, and again, this is something Laura Dosworth shows very clearly in her book, that the behavioral psychologists are there not to advise on policy, but they're, they're, they're there to, to, well, I mean, I don't know how else to say it. They're there to get the, help the government to manipulate people into, into keeping the rules uh, through the use of propaganda. Now, that's not how Susan Mickey said it, but that's basically what they do. Um, but she is talking about, well, in order to um, control the Delta variant, we need these measures and, you know, we need to get the vaccine in this many people and so on. And I was listening to it thinking, why you're no more qualified to talk about this than any, literally anyone else. She's a behavioral psychologist. She's not an expert in virology. She, you know, she doesn't, she doesn't have um, an, an authoritative, authoritative platform to, to speak from on this issue. So it's, it's very strange how these behavioral psychologists, just because they're on stage and in, in a sense conceptually proximate to, you know, your Patrick Valances or whatever, <laughs> how they get wheeled out and asked, what's your scientific opinion about this? But her now, I recall, I recall um, Neil Ferguson boasting that um, he didn't have an O-level in biology. <laughs> well, yeah. it's, it's, it's quite well known that there are very few viro actual virologists on, on SAGE. It's, it's mostly behavioral psychologists mm. and, um, and, and modelers, you know. Yeah. Uh, they're, posing as, they're posing as experts on, on the pandemic itself, when a lot of the time what they're actually experts on is nothing that behavioral psychology has got nothing to do with virology you know it's just a completely unrelated field so it's 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 a bit of an anomaly there um but one of the things i wanted to raise chaps is a interesting article by um dr renee hondekamp in the mail where she talks about this this justification that keeps on being wheeled out that what we're doing is protecting the nhs um by doing this um and she writes the nhs is being overwhelmed by the effects of lockdown itself there are now record-breaking 5.1 million people on waiting lists, the worst situation in the 73-year-old history of the health service. Every day I see patients, she's, she's a GP, I think, um, every day I see patients in desperate need of hip and knee operations. When they ask me how long they might have to wait, I have to look at them in the eye and say it could be years. And the medical repercussion of waiting two to three years for a joint replacement are serious and sometimes life-changing many such patients are in agony they become depressed these patients might self-medicate with alcohol or painkillers and unable to exercise they will put on weight all this puts strain on other parts of the body it can lead to heart liver and kidney disease along with other ser serious illnesses yet their primary problem is something that is easy to alleviate through routine surgery and then she goes on what about those with life-threatening diseases including heart disease and cancer their screening or treatment delayed and and so on and so forth i mean you, you see the point that she's making is that this justification that we're, we're, we're taking pressure off the NHS by doing this is totally spurious because the NHS is getting overwhelmed by focus, well, it's focusing on one thing, which is COVID, but then all of these other myriad health conditions are piling up. And now there's this waiting list of, what did, what did I read out? It was something like- um, Five and a half million, I think you said. 5.1 million people. 5.1 million people, that's almost one in, so it's one in 12, one in 13 people in the UK is on a, on a, a waiting list. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's outrageous, isn't it? I, I heard of someone recently who, um, uh, who decided to go to the bank and get a loan so they, get, they could have a hip replacement. 
gosh, just to get 20 grand because it was just excruciating. Yeah. And, you know, on the private system, presumably you can get it next week rather than in two, three years' time. It's, it's crazy. I mean, it's just, I mean, this is just one aspect of, of what's going on, isn't mm. it? But the, the health service is, when you consider also the, the economic damage that we're doing as well, and, and, and presumably the effect that that must have on the NHS, um, well, certainly, justification is, and how long is it going to go on for as well? well? I mean, does anyone really believe this is going to end in four weeks? I mean, you know, it's, in, in, in three weeks' time, Jamie, the, the siren voices will start again, won't they? They will. <laughs> They'll, they'll bring out another prediction. Witty and Valance will wander into their puppet room and select which skin that they're using to, to animate this year, this, this week, and roll it out in front of cameras, and we'll have a, a baleful-eyed Boris Johnson glaring at the people. Did, another did two Johnson weeks say, is all I need. Did know. Johnson say uh, this time, did he say, I don't want to do this again? Is that something he keeps <laughs> saying? I'm sorry, I don't want to do this. <laughs> it, it was, <laughs> you start to believe he, him. I think he said we, we need to take our foot off the accelerator. Well, I don't know what car he's been driving. It feels like a C5. To me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, a 0.2 litre moped yeah, for, or something. Um, like, yeah. C5, sorry. I saw one of those recently in Torquay. So uh, for those who um, are old enough, was Supply Sinclair's attempt to <laughs> entry into... <laughs> I'm going to get Top Gear here. Yeah, yeah, I was going to industry was a battery-powered car that had the same engine strength as a washing machine wow. and was uh, a death trap, could only take one passenger. Well, that, that, this sounds, the <laughs> I mean, that sounds like an adequate kind of... Um, Very apt for what's going on. Yeah, metaphor for, for our government. Do you know, um, finally, talking of our government, we finally have a member of government stand, uh, sort of showing a little bit more independence. And, and it's taken a long time, but Jacob Rees-Mogg um, gave, gave a statement uh, about the NHS yesterday. Uh, where he said, and I, you know, I think it's fine because it's he's been very disappointing, Jacob Rees-Mogg, throughout this. Um, he's been more than disappointing, Tom. It's, it's been, it's been, he's been ghastly. Um, but he's finally said, um, ultimately, the NHS is there to serve the British people, not the British people there to serve the NHS. And therefore, we may need to spend more money in hospitals, but you can't run society purely to stop the hospitals being full. Otherwise, you'd never let us get in our cars and drive anywhere or do any of the other things that people want to do. So there has to be some proportionality within that, that the government doesn't have the right to take charge of people's lives purely to prevent them seeing the doctor. Actually, otherwise, we'd never be allowed in our kitchens, would we, where a disproportionate number of accidents in the home take place, or the bathrooms, and we've become very hungry and smelly on that basis. Well, I mean, it's only taken him, what, 18 months to say. Yeah, I was going to say, Tom, where was that 18 months ago? I mean, I, I used to listen to Jacob Roggs, uh, Jason Reed. Jacob Rees-Mogg's uh, Conservative Home podcast, and I, I just couldn't yeah. take it anymore. When I stopped, when he, so I, I used to listen to him quite a lot. I was really impressed with listening to him yeah. at student unions and stuff like that, talking about how, I remember him saying specifically, um, the antithesis of my political philosophy is the man in Whitehall knows best how to run your life. So that was the antithesis, that's the opposite of his political philosophy right yeah. and then and then i'm listening to a podcast with him where he's talking about a lockdown of consent i mean have you ever heard anything so orwellian a lockdown of consent if it's consensual you don't have to write it into law you don't have to mandate it into law i think <laughs> nanny needs to have words maybe she has <laughs> maybe nanny has had words i know he said that nanny's very wise yeah um, i well, think nanny's finally um sat him down yeah, I mean, I just, I just find that, um, you know, 
why do why do people not have any trust in politicians? I mean, it's because they say one thing and then they do another. He says he believes in small government. He thinks that the state shouldn't interfere with your life and you should be allowed to run your life. And then a few months later, he is complicit in the in the biggest power grab in uh, in UK political history, in English political history, the most invasive um, interference of the state with the individual citizen's private life, and he's he's endorsing it. And no, well, to quote to quote Neil Ferguson, who I again saw him say it's on Channel Four last week, same thing. Um, we looked at what China was doing and thought we could never get away with it. Then we saw Italy do it. Thought, here we go. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, we've I mean, we've we've almost done this to death over the years. But you, you know, it's almost over the years. It's over not, the no, years. No, over the year. Well, it's we been two years done. now, hasn't it? Well, uh, yeah, we haven't we haven't been doing this podcast. Will, will we be doing this in thirty years? Time? <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe. That'll be my skeleton. <laughs> It's all right, we'll get, we'll get Ferguson to reanimate you or something. You can sort of, sort of slack jaw. Uh, that reanimated um, Jacob Fogg has been a real letdown these last 10 years. Yeah. Um, oh, we're on COVID-2050. But, I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? If we don't stand up and start saying enough is enough uh, as a country, then, then, there, then I can't see many other routes out. You know, we, we, safetyism has won. Okay, safetyism has won. Now, we used to be able to ignore safetyism um, because it basically, unless you were in the public sector, you could, you could pretty much ignore it. Um, but gradually, it's crept into everything else, and, and now it's won. Uh, you know, if, if, if something's not safe, you can't do it. Well, uh, uh, yeah, and I, I, I think you're right, Tom, and I, I don't know what the way out of it is, but um, ultimately it is, it is a theological issue, isn't it? It's because people, well, it's, it's this dynamic that we've talked about before, which we touched on again last week, where people are afraid of, they're afraid of illnesses which can lead to death, and the government have made people, made, uh, they've um, exacerbated that fear through all the propaganda, and then that, that, that makes people yield control to the government because the government have said the only way that you can prevent this from happening to you is to do what we say, basically. And so ultimately, it is a theological issue because it's about, it's about fear. It's about existential fear. Um, and this, this is something that can only be, you know, from a Christian perspective, it can only be dealt with properly through Christ and his, his, defeat, of, his defeat of death and the resurrection and so on and so forth. So there may be, there may be a political solution or an amelioration of the problem at some point. But ultimately, I see this as a manifestation of the, the secular turn from Christianity and towards a kind of post-humanism, which we're moving into now. It's not, it's not something which, it's not something which is um, pleasant to look at. And we'll, yeah, I mean, what's been very humbling has been in, in the, uh, the emails and comments that we have been receiving is that clearly there are a number of people who uh, in the, uh, having their belief structures questioned by this. You know, they may have been uh, more firmly atheist or agnostic and are wondering really, actually, uh, there's an incredible downside to a complete loss of transcendence in your existence, yeah. particularly at this time. And that um, uh, without that, without that sense that, that life has horizons and borders that are beyond, um, they lose that inner freedom. And so I, th I think that's been one of the great things about this show is off, uh, 
off the show is we've been getting all this correspondence from people saying, you know, very humbly, we'd like to share with you that mm. we're not so sure about our disbelief. Yeah. Which is good. Um, I, I just, before we move on to scripture, because I think we're, we're about ready to, to bring it up, because I think it speaks, the, the scripture that Daniel has spoken speaks an awful lot into this. I just wanted to share one other, one other uh, article by Dr. Sinead Murphy um, called Funny Old Game Life. It's on the Conservative Woman website. And uh, it just, some of this we're talking about, and it, it talks about the, this um, footballer, Ericsson, who obviously had a heart issue. Um, and collapsed on pitch and uh, the game was was called off um and uh i think i think i think the article speaks for itself i just i'll read a small amount of it. it says few if any in the copenhagen stadium on saturday would have wished the substitution to be made for ericsson the match to have continued not only would that have asked too much of the players justifiably poleaxed by what had happened it would have lacked due respect but are we to conclude that ericsson's trouble showing up is, um, that what Ericsson's trouble showed up, sorry, is the imp- unimportance of football. Are we to follow the suspension of the fixture in acknowledgement of the fallen player with assertions of the triviality of a game whose grassroots activities do so much for the life of local communities across the world? Is, is the unfortunate collapse of someone on the pitch to be responded to by holding football in contempt? The logic is flawed and undermining, and it's the logic of COVID. Um, in response to the collapse of Ericsson and after the appropriate pause to acknowledge his situation, we should return to football as to all of life with renewed gusto, with a refreshed appreciation for the air in our lungs and the magic in our feet. The alternative is what we continue to endure through this indefinite suspension of living out of the respect for the fact that people die. And I think there's something in that, um, something linking those two things. Just because one person di- almost died on a pitch doesn't mean that the game that he lived for is is unimportant or should just be stopped um the 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 logic of that leads us to to a world in which we sort of all uh lie in sort of glass tubes fed mush uh watching uh television you know for for our lives um yeah you know existing uh, much like uh, the sort of families in Fahrenheit 451, but, but worse, you know. I've um, never read that. Is that what it's, that what it's uh, about? I mean, it's, it's, actually, um, it's actually very prophetic in terms of the stuff about Zoom and telescreens and stuff like that, because mm. people spend their whole social lives um, communicating uh, through, through video phones, essentially, which are installed in their kitchens or whatever. Um, it's all you know, throughout their house. They live sort of fake social lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, yeah, which is, which is, again, it's another one of these things which is actually coming true at the at the present, isn't it? Um, yeah, no, Tom, I mean, I, just as a football uh, fan, um, I, uh, I hear, when stuff like this happens, they always say this kind of stuff. They always say, oh, well, this is, reminds us what's really important in life. And, um, you know, as if, as if to say football isn't important. Um, and, you know, there might be a sense in which football's a triviality but then actually again from a i would say from a theological in a sense most things are trivialities you know most things are Uh, you could boil life down to just eating and and sleeping couldn't you everything else is trivial yeah Yeah. what i was going to say is it's trivial as far as survival is concerned but from a theological perspective or an anthropological um and theological perspective the most important things in life are are trivialities you know the you if you look at um if you look at the way children play you know, children, their whole life is, is a triviality. You're going to say that that's not, is that, that's not important. That's not a significant aspect of human existence is, is children's, children's play or, or, um, or, the, or the play of animals or, or love. 
you know, um, or sex or whatever it might be. Uh, I mean, obviously sex is a procreative aspect to it as well. But, um, you know, the, the whole notion of play is, is, um, is, is of, the, of the essence of life. And I would say, you know, it's, it's actually the essence of the whole of creation because in the sense, theologically, creation itself is unnecessary because God doesn't need to create the world yeah, yeah. in order to, to complete himself. He has no reason in that sense to create apart from a sort of, um, a sort of pointless expression of, of, of creative, of joy. loving creativity or yeah, joyful creativity or whatever you want to say. Mm. So it's the very essence of life we're talking about here. I think, it's a, I think it's a really, really profound observation in the conservative woman article for sure. Mm. And, and I mean, you, you can apply that logic to literally anything you know music i remember being being told uh on my first i think i've recounted this before first day of university studying music by the by the head of the the faculty you know the the wonderful thing about music is that it's 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 not important yeah but at the same time there is an importance in being um you, you're going to be sort of safeguarders of, of the heritage of music and that that is important as well so there's a sort of du duality isn't there you know yeah. because it's music's about communication it's about um a shared human existence and experience much like football yeah. uh so to trivialize these things just you know yeah to take them away and to say they're not important when actually in a, in a sense i mean depending on how you look at it they're the most important things in life because life isn't worth living if you take away music and sport and play and love and yeah. and and theatre and everything that that gives you enjoyment, and actually this this um, I know we should talk about scripture, but it does it does lead to something else that I wanted to talk about as well, which is which is weddings, which are now being that you know people these poor people have been waiting for all this time to get married, and now and and they they had their weddings booked for July because they thought that the restrictions are going to be lifted, and now we've got this situation where I've got a um, article in the daily mail couples are facing a 10,000 pound fine. If they do not complete a proper risk assessment on wedding ceremonies that will now feature social distancing, no dancing and face masks for all. And there's this, there's this list in the daily mail here. I mean, this is what we're talking about, the nanny state, right? So what are the new rules for weddings allowed? Weddings and wakes with more than 30 people subject to the venue's social distancing capacity. The couple's first dance. Oh, well, that's nice that they're allowed that. Speeches, preferably outside or using a PA system. So no shouting is needed. So no shouting, presumably no laughing either. Cutting the cake. That's allowed. Uh, thank goodness. Guest books and photo booths. But bands, indoor dancing. No, none of that. No dancing. Uh, Stand-up receptions at either indoor or outdoor venues. So, so no receptions. Uh, not recommended, dancing outside, singing, including hymns, cash donations, shared orders of services. Now, I mean, it, 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 the reason I think this is relevant to what you just said, Tom, I mean, I remember listening to, I think I was listening to Tom Woods recently, the American commentator, and he was saying that in a way, these rules, they don't really seem to make sense from a scientific perspective. But if you, if you, if you, if you instead start to analyze these rules in a different way, they, they, might start to make sense, which is, which is as follows. Think of, think of all the things in life that bring you joy and happiness and which increase your enjoyment of a certain thing and then take all those things away and ruin that thing. And, and, and think of all the things that you could put in place to inconvenience mm -hmm. experiences in life, to, to make them uh, more mundane and to make them difficult, to, more difficult to carry out and, to, and to, to, bring about, to bring about an edge to them. Which, which sort of ruins them and spoils them. It sort of makes sense when you think about it in that way. So you can have a wedding, but you can't dance and you can't sing. 
you can't dance or sing at your wedding. I mean, does, does anyone really want to have a wedding under those circumstances? And I know people have to because they want to get married and they've waited all this time, but, but it's just, it's so, it's so joyless. You know, it's so, it's just sucking the joy out of absolutely everything. Do you remember some, oh, was about when we first started this podcast, I, I, I just said that there are, having inhabited many years ago, uh, the, the, the sort of scientific community, sort of computer science, science groups, um, a, a lot of my memory in the 80s, these are people who are very socially awkward. Yeah. So I, I know that's a caricature. Sorry to, you know, those of you, you know, in the science community who are party animals. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's safe to say that there's always a danger, isn't there, that we end up project that our masters end up projecting the world as they would like it. Yeah. Well, we see this a bit, don't we? Because um, I mean, we. we all joy is is forbidden uh, except for the things that Boris Johnson likes to do apparently so Wimbledon for example he's a big Wimbledon tennis fan so Wimbledon are allowed full courts uh, for the final day whereas of course the Euros uh, aren't and you think well <laughs> is that because because our Prime Minister likes to see the tennis uh, you know you've got to wonder um, and, I, and, I, and I do think that even if not all um, scientists are sort of sociopathic um, <laughs> uh, people who, who don't like um, joy or or, or um, social interaction i think it's fair to say that um that the current lot running us appear to be that way um so. well i think as well you know the other thing i'd like to point out about this which relates to the uh, situation with the church as well is is why is it and obviously i'm in favor i want the stadiums to be full and i want everyone to be singing obviously but um why is it that you've got wembley stadium with i think it had twenty thousand people in it, not twenty five thousand people in it all singing um, you know, loads of them weren't wearing masks. Masks were clearly not being um, mm. policed. They, they all had their shirts off. They're all jumping around, having a great time, as they should be. But why is it that you've got that, right? But in, in our churches, we have to social distance. Everyone has to wear a mask and we're not allowed to sing. I mean, why are we in this situation? There's, I just, this really bugs me, this thing about not singing. Why? I mean, why is it that they're allowed to? There are thousands of people singing in stadiums, but in churches we're not allowed to sing, and at people's weddings we're not allowed to sing. I mean, I just, I don't, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know why. I don't, I don't understand the discrepancy. But it just, it looks like um, a kind of, you know, a, 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 an inconsistency, a pettiness, which is, which is applied to the worship of the church which isn't applied to sporting events. And I, th I think it's wrong. I think, it, I think we should be singing. Yeah. Um, Daniel, let's turn to scripture now after that. Yeah. Before I give this reading, I want to uh, actually just share with you a sort of jovial antithesis to it. Uh, one of um, my American interns is telling me to do that at the school he's at, they have uh, there's a sort of playground monitor, um, and um, he calls her the failed Jedi because she wears the full visor, three masks, wow. gloves, and a kind of apron. Um, as very particular about people being near her and being near each other, and have um, and she has a um, like Darth Maul, she has two saber sticks. 
So, yeah, she's, so she's, at your, she's at your son's school, did you say? No, no, this is a friend's school. There's one of my interns from America who's saying this. Um, okay, right, okay. This lady's going around the playground in this high school, you know, ensuring that people are, these kids are not, are not clumping together. And, you know, she's got her sticks and her, her PPE outfit. <laughs> um, her name is Mrs. Shield. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, Mrs. Shield in America, we love you. Yes. Not. Uh, well, we lo- we love you, but, we love but you. I mean, we love- we, we'd like you to think about what you're doing uh, rationally. I think uh, <laughs> would be would be the thing we'd like. We we love you, and we love all people. But please think about what you're doing rationally. Um, <laughs> to to <laughs> quote the words of Yoda, you know, was it Yoda? Was it um, Win- Mace Windu? Yeah. We admit you to the council, but you don't have the vote. You know, <laughs> a master, you're not. Um, sorry, that's corny. Uh, I was going to read from Ephesians 6, uh, from verse 10 onwards, um, which speaks of the armour of God and seems very fitting at this moment when we might... Uh, when, when we... We need to, I think, come to understand that God, God has uh, shielding for us that is uh, spiritual rather than what Mrs. Shield is putting on. Yes, this is the mm. true armour. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armour of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done so, stand firm. Stand therefore fastened in the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances take up the shield of faith which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of spirit which is the word of god praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and all supplication to that end keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. May I declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Daniel. That's a really good... um reminder to put on the full armor of god god not the ppe not the ppe (laughs) that won't keep you safe it is the armor of god which will keep you safe very good i like it um chaps i want to talk about um this uh interview which was given by um dr roger hodgkinson um about um the vaccination program and what's going on and i feel um in, in, in bringing this up, I feel like we should preface it um, in some way. So this issue is, I'm finding it 
deeply disturbing and I, I, I would be really interested to hear what you chaps think about this article. Now, I think in saying this, um, there'll be, there may be people listening who are not convinced and who may think that this is some kind of wacky out there um, rabbit hole to go down. But as far as I can tell, and I, you know, I'm not a scientist, but I'm, I try and inform myself. But as far as I can tell, this, this story around the vaccine is extremely serious. And um, I, another, another, apart from this article I'm about to uh, bring up, there was also a very, very interesting long conversation on uh, Brett Weinstein's uh, podcast, which I can put in the show notes, called How to Save the World in Three Easy Steps. And, and in, that, in that podcast, he had, um, he had Dr. Robert Malone, the inventor of our mRNA vaccine technology, and Steve Kirsch, an entrepreneur who's been researching as adverse reactions. And it's a long conversation, but, but basically two things, um, really serious adverse reactions in the vaccines and alternative treatments, especially ivermectin, which do really appear to be being suppressed uh, by the by the authorities. This is, I mean, Roger Hodkinson says that this is the biggest story of our times. And I, as I said, chaps, I mean, I'd be really interested to hear your thoughts about this. But I, I, I can't see that it's not, to be honest with you. Um, but but the the reason I wanted to kind of preface this is by saying that there's this sort of there's this sort of taboo around this this subject. Um, Partly it's because of the censorship and the mass mainstream media are not covering this, obviously. But the censorship, if you put stuff on YouTube or, or mm. on Twitter questioning the, the narrative around the vaccine, it's often taken off really, really quickly. Um, there's an attempt by certainly by the mainstream media and by social media, mainstream social media, let's call it, to to stop this conversation happening. And I think it's an interesting question to work out what the ostensible justification for that could be what is the justification for shutting closing down debate over an issue as serious as vaccine safety and alternative medication which could ameliorate the problem of the pandemic mm. i mean that's an that's an interesting question isn't it i mean what what's the ostensible justification is it that it's just too dangerous to question the vaccine and to suggest that there's other ways of treating COVID is that I mean what's the what what would what what would they say if you said look why are you censoring this stuff I I, I honestly don't know the answer to that question because the way it looks to me is that they're censoring this stuff because there's a pre-approved narrative pre-approved for whatever reason um which ha which 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 cannot be questioned and it, the, the, the narrative is the vaccine is the only way out of this and um, there's, no, there's nothing else. There's nothing else you can do about it. Um, so I think that at the very least, this is a legitimate conversation. At the very least, there are legitimate questions to be asked here. Uh, I'm not saying everyone has to agree with it, but I think that um, to say that the conversation shouldn't happen as though it's some kind of moral thing it's a, or, or an immoral thing to actually have the conversation. I find that deeply bizarre. I mean, as a starting point, do you, do you, what do you chaps think? Yeah, I, I was reflecting on this yesterday, just because I, I watched the Brett Weinstein piece as well. And um, it, it made me think that I'm struggling to think of a, an incidence in the media or on 
mainstream social media, for instance, where there has been you know, a thesis-antithesis kind of dialogue between both sides, you know, which would be fair. You know, let's have um, Brett Weinstein, who I think is, you know, he's not um, particularly anti-vax, but he, you know, he's got lots of concerns. Yeah. Let's have someone like him and then have, I don't know, someone else. Uh, and let's argue it out. Uh, what, what is, what would be, um, why censor that? Uh, and, it, and it seems that what we have is, is a conversation, a, a non-conversation. Yeah. And, uh, and we have uh, those of us who have concerns uh, and those who are the opposite of that. Uh, the two are never brought together. Yeah. And one side is clearly diminished as soon as possible, you know, or yes. switched off. Uh, now, that, that, that has to be really unhealthy for democracy, long, long term, because um, if, um, if my concerns over the safety of this are misled and wrong and oversensitive, then why, why is it that there, that there are not those experts who share those sort of thoughts are not even allowed onto the podium with others to thrash it out? Yeah. And, and, and we, had, we had a big thrash out over Brexit, no yeah. Scottish independence. We had you know, incredible ding dongs. Yeah. We're not even having those. And that, that's chilling. I find, I find that. And, and I, I find that it, creepy, really. It reminds me of um, in John Stuart Mill on Liberty he talks about the importance of dialogue and debate and how actually dialogue and debate clarifies, you know, it's supposed to clarify an issue rather than obscure it. And yes. it seems to me that that's, that's a principle, it's a really important principle in a free, open, democratic, intellectually open society and, and, a, and a, you know, scientific society. I don't, I don't really think we are a scientific society in, a, in, the, in the actual in a, in a real sense, but we claim to be anyway. So, you know, contrast is the mother of clarity type thing. So when did we go from that principle to saying, well, no, actually it's all about censorship because that, that view is too dangerous. That's, that's, and I agree with you, Dan. I find it, I find it absolutely chilling. I really do. To, to, to even say that the debate is dangerous. Yes. I think uh, we spoke about this before the vaccine rollout, Jamie, didn't we? And w We've always had slightly different opinions on, on, on how the vaccine, uh, you know, should have been, should be used. Um, I think back in October, November of 2020, uh, it was entirely uncontroversial to say the vaccine um, is likely, you know, emergency use of the vaccine should, should be given to only to those who are likely to, to, to severely suffer from COVID. And for everyone else, it would be a, a risk that would be unnecessary. Um, and it seems to have become impossible even to say that. Um, yep. You know, really, there is no need to be vaccinating people under the age of 50, uh, under the age of 60, um, other than those with specific medical uh, reasons to be vulnerable to COVID. There is, there is no need because we know that less than a thousand people have died, um, I believe, I haven't got up-to-date figures who are under that age without, without uh, um, any other um, condition. You know, they're, they're not 
the, for the government to sit there and say we need to make sure the, the under 50s get or over is it 50 and over get their second vaccination um and i believe all of the 60 year olds and above have it already um as a, as a, in order you know in order to prevent this disease from overwhelming the nhs it's it's a lie they they won't overwhelm the nhs um yeah. because we we know that because they don't die and they're not hospitalized for very long if they are hospitalized even the head of the nhs has said that has said this you know yeah. um hospital stays are short they don't need very much um support now that that's all by the by really that the, what we're talking about um suppression of, of debate and that's never right and it's only going to encourage um sort of uh, the idea that um rightly or wrongly that the government is uh, deliberately suppressing um because they, they're covering something up uh, yeah. and that's and, all and it's going to do that's all it's going to do it's going to give it's, it's a bit like why why you know why we shouldn't forbid people who we disagree with from speaking publicly um because it's better to expose expose their ideas with truth uh we spoke about this and so and you know truth will be out and, and john stuart mill is all about seeking truth isn't it it's in, in in that debate so you, you're you're unable about, to do it's that. about clarifying the truth through disagreement yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and, but we can also not only clarify the truth, but highlight in, in such debate we can we can highlight movements um, that we might consider uh, you know unhealthy or like this. like for instance, Jeremy Hunt's call for the vaccination of children was clearly being argued on a utilitarian point. Yep. Now. It, it strikes me that at that at that stage there needs to be a, an extremely thorough debate about do we want to be operating our country and our medical services on a utilitarian basis um, because that has very very pertinent long-term consequences yeah. that colors generations to come yes uh, and that to me, you know, without going into the ins and outs of vaccination, giving medicine to people who don't need it, uh, is immoral. On the, basis immoral. Of utility, on the basis of utility, that should be a national discussion. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, it, it's, it's straight up. We, we know that there are adverse effects, even from Pfizer, which is like, I think Moderna's currently the, the safest of them. But even those are causing one in 62,000 doses to um, leading to complications, leading to death um, was the latest one. One in 62,000. Now, that's a very low death rate, but it's higher, for example, than the flu vaccine. And it's higher than any of the vaccines that we give to our children. It's considerably higher. And if, and if given to all of our children, it would lead to, you know, it would lead to deaths. There would be deaths in our children. And, and we know for a fact that no healthy children have died from, from COVID. So it's, it's by default immoral. Well, if, if, if one child dies yeah. as a result of taking this vaccine, it's unacceptable. And, yeah. and part of the reason it's unacceptable is because the children are being told that this is safe. So on, on the, I mean, in the, in the, um, in the, and we're all being told this is safe. Yeah. We're being told that this is, uh, this is, this is, this is the reality that it's a safe vaccine. On, um, on BBC News Rounds, which is a ch children's TV program, they said this that the vaccine is safe. Um, they've actually withdrawn that now, Jamie. Um, I know they've withdrawn it, Tom, but the, but the damage has already been done. You know, I mean, just doing yeah. the, just doing the maths, then, Tom. So I just look it up on Google. I mean, this is for all children. There are 11 million 
759,000 children in the UK. Uh, that, that is under the age of 16, you know, so um, if you divide that by, if you gave them all Moderna, uh, one in 60,000 was it? So it's like 20, I'm just, I'm just, 200, you know, 200 deaths. Yeah. One in 62,000. Yeah, that's two, that's 200 deaths. That's 200 kids dead as a result of taking a vaccine that they didn't, that they didn't need. And it's, it's, and they and they were told it was safe. So this is, this is the, this is the problem I have is, is, I mean, well, obviously the problem I have is that kids will die if that, and, and some will become very sick as well. That's a problem. And then the other problem is that this is predicated on deceit. And this, okay. is, this is a moral, this is a moral issue. So I'll just, uh, just to clarify, that was the Moderna. So Pfizer is one in 62,000. Right. Uh, one fatal okay. reaction. And Moderna is one fatal reaction in 115,000. So there would still be uh, 150, you know, fatalities even on that one. That's the safest, you know. Um, now, there's... That you, you cannot contemplate that because we know that many fewer than that are going to die if they just all caught COVID. Many fewer. You know. I mean, it just shouldn't even be a conversation. It's just, no. it's just crazy. Why, why vaccinate people? I know we've been here before, but who are, who are not in danger of the virus. And, and I mean, sorry, can I just read, I'll just read some of this article, okay? Because I, I think it's really important for us to consider this. So... Dr. Roy Hod Roger Hodgson, I almost said Roy Hodgson, um, the COVID vaccine should never have been released to the public because of its experimental nature and is giving rise to such serious complications and concerns over future risks that the rollout should be stopped immediately. So says Dr. Roger Hodgkinson, a highly experienced retired pathologist who chairs an American biotechnology company which sells uh, COVID tests and is developing tests for early diagnosis of cancer. His warnings come as the UK's regulator is being urged to declare the COVID vaccines unsafe for use in humans because of the high number of vaccine attributed deaths. 1,253 and adverse reactions, 888,196, uh, with 256,224 individual reports over the five months to May 26. Uh, Hodg Hodgkinson describes this report by Dr. Tess Lowry as a devastating analysis of the whole mess. And just another statistic here, which doesn't, which doesn't um, relate to the UK, but the USA, is that the COVID vaccines and again i can put this in the show notes if anyone wants to follow this up the covid vaccines have generated more adverse reports in the us in the last six months than all 70 vaccines that have been released over the past 30 years combined mm -hmm. i mean that in the us and i assume there, i assume it's something similar here in the uk there is there is no doubt that they are not as safe as the vaccines that we you know they don't reach the same safety standards as vaccines that we're used to having you know, we'd also have to look into that what what was you'd also have to put on that what what is the um, percentage of reporting yeah and the under the under reporting on the yellow card scheme is going to be massive isn't it it's going to be yeah. at least at least uh, 90 percent under under reporting it could be as high as 99 percent yeah. so we we don't we don't I, know what the rate of under reporting is i suspect that the rate of under reporting drops the more serious the adverse reaction but yes absolutely um i, d I don't but why would you think that tom because if a, uh, because a doctor's more likely to seek out how to report it if it's a very serious reaction um whereas if it's just a headache the, the patient likely isn't going to even report it to the doctor so you know i, I you know i would th that would be my hunch uh, anyway um i mean but, i think i think the under reporting situation is um I mean, it, it seems to me to be 
uh, very likely that a high a high degree of um, adverse effects are not are not reported. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not. I'm not some, doubting I've that. Had, I've had some experience with this. I'm, I'm not going to say because it would be inappropriate, but. Um, there, there isn't a proper system for for yellow card reporting to be followed up in any kind of systematic. Right. It's self it's self selecting, like it is in the um, the the VAERS system in in the US. It's self selecting, so that so there almost certainly is a, a high rate of under reporting. I mean, but that's, yeah, I, that's not really the issue. It's not. But I mean, the I mean the the core thing comes back round to if we, if we believe what. I mean, and, and I do believe that these vaccines uh, do provide protection and, you know, and we've, we've spoken about the ethical issues around them before. And um, there's, some, there's some good, uh, there's a good article, a little comment about it on our Patreon page, actually, um, which uh, I, I, you know, um, the, the, the fact is that um, if they are, if they work as advertised, then people who have been vaccinated do not need to worry about mixing with unvaccinated people. Uh, and the, therefore, on each individual level, it is about what your risk of COVID is, and, uh, you know, if you if you want to take it or not. It shouldn't be a, a just a, just recommended to all, uh, yeah. and it's not necessary. Um, in fact, you know, it's it's quite. Tom, Tom, sorry, just the point. The point I really want to um, nail. I'm not. I don't want to get into like a, a conversation about stats and stuff like that. The the point I really want to nail is it's not it's it's not even just about you know whether or not it's necessary. It's about whether it's safe based on the knowledge we have of the adverse yeah. reactions and deaths. And, so I, and, and what this guy, Roger Hodgkinson, is saying is that, is that people, are, people are not, they're not being given this information and so they can't give informed consent. That's, that's, that's part of the argument in this article. People cannot give informed consent if they do not know about the risks of a medical treatment. And the risks of these medical treatments are being um, under-emphasized. And that's, that's putting it mildly. We're being told that this is safe. And that's that's misleading, and that could cost that could cost people their lives. It is costing people their lives, un unquestionably. Sorry, Tom, did I cut you off there? No, no, I think I think you think you're right. So there's so there's a balance, isn't there? There's definitely a um, there's definitely like someone who is in their nineties who has diabetes. Yeah, they may well want to take the vaccine. It's a risk worth taking for them. Someone in their forties who doesn't. That it's a much more nuanced question, and it's not you know it's not necessary because we know it doesn't it doesn't fully prevent transmission, it doesn't fully prevent infection, um, it does cause its own risks. You know, uh, really, it needs to be you know, vaccination needs to be for those who need it, uh, like any medicine, like any medicine. So 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 the the kind of pushing pushing it on children is particularly immoral. Pushing it on even on adults who um, are not at risk from COVID should be considered to be controversial. Uh, I, I find what at the moment it's being pushed with the, I mean, maybe, maybe you can, you guys are able to kind of draw out more what is being argued, is being pushed on the idea of creating a herd immunity. Um, and yet there seems to be a vagary on the figures of what that herd immunity is as a percentage or how that operates. Um, I'm just sure, sure that a few months ago someone said, oh, we're pretty near to herd, herd immunity. We're, we're sort of there already. Um, uh, and the natural immunity was doing a lot as well. Um, so um, because it's being pushed in terms of othering those who are unvaccinated, um, particularly adults who've chosen not to be vaccinated, uh, 
And, and you know, we've had we've had those horrible instances on, on social media, people like Edwina Curry and Andrew Lloyd Webber um, yeah. ranting about um, that, you know, the, these people shouldn't even be in the same room together with him or her. Uh, uh, so I, I, I struggle with how with that because it seems it seems a very blunt argument and a very vague one. Well, it's it's not in Am any right? way acknowledging the fact that people might have any kind of natural immunity to the virus, isn't it? And and that's that's the um, so one of the things that um, I can't quite remember this. I think it might be the WHO's definition of herd immunity. They changed it from they basically changed it to eliminate all mention of natural immunity and and change the definition of herd immunity to um, only include herd immunity, which is achieved through vaccination. But of course, it can it it can, and in the majority of times, it does um, occur naturally. So there's the been this there's been this kind of playing down of of our natural ability to become immune through our immune systems to to this virus. And it, it, again, like this, the thing for me with all of this, and you know, maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm paranoid. Maybe I'm evaluating the facts in a way which is is not merited. But it seems to me that everything in this situation, uh, from from the government, from the advisors, and everything, from the media, is is predicated on the idea that we have to get as many people vaccinated as as possible. And one can't help feeling suspicious about why that is. Why why are why is natural immunity being poo-pooed in the way that it is? Why are other treatments not being, well, prophylactics and treatments not being spoken about? And they haven't been spoken about since the beginning. It's not just recently either. The increasing amount of evidence that ivermectin is uh, effective. And the thing about ivermectin as well, which I understand from that Weinstein podcast, is that when you have um, the precautionary principle, if you have a, a treatment which is, which is safe, even if you're unsure it might do, if you, sorry, even if you're unsure that it might work, you might still give it because it could work. And if it's safe, then you, you do give it because it won't, cause, it won't cause harm. And, you know, what's the difference? Just give it, you know, and it's, it's cheap, it's readily available. And yet no discussion of ivermectin in the mainstream media, no discussion from governments and, and a demonization of anyone who suggests it. Why is this if it's not because the vaccine has to be promoted above all else? Mm. What, why did Boris need the vaccine, for instance, if he had? It, 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 a... it, because presumably natural immunity is, is very strong if you've had this. I mean, uh, early on, people were saying, oh, if you've, you've, had, you've got the disease and you've survived, you're, you're, you know, your immunity is in... It's it's near hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think it's there's a recent paper which showed that natural naturally acquired immunity was just as good as vaccine acquired acquired immunity, which of course was always going to be the case. The idea that that a vaccine would be better than naturally acquired immunity was always just nonsense. Um, but uh, and and indeed, it's probably more holistic in, in that the vaccine targets a very specific part of the coronavirus, whereas the natural immunity will will, will naturally target. Well, everyone will target it slightly differently and this actually is is quite important um in terms of building a uh, sort of um a, 
a robust herd immunity because you end up with otherwise you end up if, if, a, if, a, if a variant came along that evaded the, the had a sufficiently different spike protein that the vaccine acquired immunity didn't recognize the variant but was still just as you know transmissible and just as deadly then people who have had it naturally will likely still be able to mount a, an immune response to it so if you had 100% people are vaccinated you'll be back to square one whereas if you had 50% people with it with a natural immunity and 50% people mm -hmm. with vaccine brought immunity you, you would be considerable chunk towards towards herd immunity even to this new you know vaccine escape variant that's that's just how um how it works so i mean uh P professor francois ballot uh has you know gone on record saying no no one has ever you know we've never achieved herd immunity with vaccinations alone it's always been through through a um, through a combination of, of natural and vaccine acquired immunity so uh, yeah or just or just natural immunity or just natural immunity because of course yeah. not we we're 100 well like when how, when were vaccines invented like 150 years ago prior to that there were no vaccines there were no so. vaccines and you know obviously uh and I, you know obviously there have been some notable successes like things like the, the smallpox uh through cowpox um uh, and things like that you know that's the famous sort of first scientific vaccine um, was injecting people with the uh, with blisters uh, with the pus from blisters of people who had caught uh, cowpox, which was a uh, a mild form of smallpox. Um, but I mean, you know, we we all know about um, you know, how chickenpox, for example, can be uh, can be better to catch it young and naturally uh, than than to catch it old when you're older because it can develop into shingles, which can be very nasty. You know, the, the, these sort of things were were common understandings before. Um, the natural immune system is a powerful thing, um, it, uh, you know, and medicine should work with it, not against it um, yeah. or ignoring, certainly not ignoring it. But I mean, coming back to all of this, because everyone, you know, you can disagree with us for certain, but um, I don't think you can disagree that the views shouldn't be repressed. Um, uh, you know, that, that, that actually we, we will be closer to the truth if we were not in a situation where the government was controlling every aspect of the narrative. Yeah. Um, and, and, who and, can trust them now? Who can trust them now? Well, we, we can't trust them, Tom, to be honest. And this is, this, is the, this is the thing which is so disturbing about this, right? So let's, let's say, um, let's go back to the thing about ivermectin, right? Because this is a really, really important point. Or, or, or fluvoxamine or hydroxychloroquine or whatever it is that you could give a patient to act as a prophylactic or a treatment. Um, if this is true, then the pandemic could end. It could end because we could give everybody on the planet or pretend, you know, hundreds of millions of people probably quite easily ivermectin and, and end, the, end the pandemic. Um, this, this could be over and we wouldn't have to use a, we wouldn't have to use a vaccine. There would be no need for a vaccine at all. There'd be no need for this almost 900,000 adverse effect of events in our, in our country and, and the 1200 deaths and, and probably more because of the under reporting. There'd be no need for any of this. So this is the thing, you know, so Hodgson says, what does he say here? He says, this is the story of our times or something like that. Um, this is not just another news story. This is the biggest story of our times. It's a tragedy that journalists are at large and not following your example, um, speaking to the person who's interviewing him. Um, I mean, if this is true, this is, this is, a, this is astonishing that this, that this life-saving information is being, is being either, well, I don't really know what to say, suppressed? Um, not mentioned. Uh, why? Because we've got this ideological commitment to to the vaccine program. Why is that? Is that because of the the financial power of the pharmaceutical industry? 
and this do you see what i'm saying this is a moral issue and this is this is so as as churchmen we we have to try and understand the science as best we can when we're speaking about these things because it's directly relevant to the moral issue and so i i hope it's clear to everyone that that's what we're trying to do we're not we're not setting ourselves as up as scientific authorities but when i as somebody who's not a scientific authority hear that there's a safe effective cheap treatment which is being demonized by the media then that 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 then becomes an issue uh, uh, an issue where you have something to say morally and ethically about it as well and i think that this is you know i mean this this story if it's true um it, the truth hopefully will come out at some point and you know people are going to people are going to be angry they're going to be angry when they find out the truth about this they're going to be angry with the church they're going to be angry with the government they're going to be angry with the scientific establishment um i just i mean i don't know what what do you what do you chaps well, think I, I think that the the church has a unique role in being able to set the tone of conversation yeah so that what they used to describe in the um uh the detente conversations between the soviets uh, and nato was talks about talks you know? yeah. a, a lot of effort was done to get those foundations right to bring the heads of states together and uh, th this clearly isn't happening uh, and sadly uh, we're seeing that the churches uh, are not rising to the occasion yeah we should we should be the ones setting the right kind of conversations making space and forums for for conversations for, that open up the great medical ethics debates of the age, and it's not happening. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's chilling. Yeah. And, and I think what I'd like to say to anyone who's listening to this, um, who's either a Christian leader or somebody with any kind of influence, or indeed somebody who is in touch with a Christian leader, your, your priest or your pastor, uh, we'll put all the notes um, all the links on the show notes to this stuff. So the Brett Weinstein thing is three hours long, but it's definitely worth listening to at least some of it. Um, seriously, these these are not crazy people. These are these are mainstream scientists who are who are saying this stuff, and and this stuff is in the public domain. It's not being covered on the mainstream media, but that's not to say it doesn't exist. Um, appraise yourself of this of this information. Send it to your Christian leaders and say, look, would you read this or would you read this summary or you know, I'll put the link to this um, summary of this um, interview with Roger Hodgkinson from, from the Conservative Room. Read this and take it seriously, because this is not fantasy land. You know, this is a really, really serious medical issue, which is affecting billions of people. Uh, um, really, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure billions of people are affected in one way or another by the vaccination program. This couldn't be more serious. I mean, it really couldn't. And I don't know what else to do, but just to, just to flag this up. And um, I'll, put, I'll put a video also that um, I, I made with the Heart Group this week on, on the issue of children's vaccination, because when you get into the issue of children's vaccination, I mean, this is, so the situation as we record is that the, um, as far as I understand it, I made a note here, the MHRA have now approved, they've given authorization to the Pfizer vaccine. I think it's for 12 years and up. And the, um, the JCVI, the Joint Committee on Vaccination. Now it's their job to um, to recommend or not to the government. So basically, to, to Boris Johnson and Matt Hancock, whether or not to roll this out. 
And as I understand it, they haven't made a recommendation and they're not going to. They're going to leave it up to Johnson and Hancock. Now, that may have changed since I got this information or, or since this uh, podcast uh, went out. But that's essentially the situation. So we're in this we're in this situation now where it hasn't been rolled out to kids, but it's been authorized and it, and it might be. And this should not happen. I mean, I, I don't think there should be any ambiguity around this. This should not happen. Uh, we should write to our MPs. We should write to our Christian leaders and we should do all that we can to to say um, that this should not be authorised. Uh, sorry, it shouldn't be rolled out. It has been authorised. It shouldn't be rolled out by the government for children um, because this will be a crime. This will be a crime to, to inject children with this, this vaccine when they don't need it and, it and it could make them unwell. But chaps, um, let's do something slightly different, shall we? Um, I know, Daniel, you've got to go in a, in a few minutes, haven't you? Mm-hmm. So... Um, should we do? Should we do something different to finish off? Stu, I've been really looking forward to chatting about because there's some really good questions at the end of this email, which I think would be worth a would be worth a good. Um... All right, that's that's good. Right, we're going to call this man Jay because I don't know if he wants us to use his full name. So, uh, hi guys. First of all, thanks for your podcast. It's truly been a light amongst the madness of the last fourteen or fifteen months. Uh, he's a recovering atheist and is feeling his way back to a faith that he thought he had lost. Uh, our conversations, discussions, sermons and debates have truly brought him back to Christian worldview. The faith I left as a teenager thinking it was simply stories for children is actually revealed to be extraordinarily complex, rich, rich, deep, meaningful, nuanced and perhaps true. There we are. Now, I was hoping you could give me some advice. I'm working as an archaeologist. I was made redundant from my job teaching English as a foreign language with three days notice at the start of government restrictions. Um, a job I'd done for 13 years. Archaeology is my dream job having studied at university but followed a different path. But I'm finding myself quite conflicted and with ethical concerns over the excavation of human remains. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts. Um, I should make clear that disinternment is in no way done for a laugh and that remains are respected and it's only done so in order to prevent them being destroyed, either through an infrastructure project or uh, perhaps a church extension. Indeed, when the remains of people with known faith are excavated, they are done so in the presence of a priest or faith representative we're careful to ensure remains are reburied with the same rights as they were buried with, even if this means finding the only remaining order in a country that can do so. Nevertheless, I find myself deeply uncomfortable with this aspect of the work. These people who went to their rest not expecting or consenting to be reburied or disturbed, and certainly not used for research, seems an infringement on their autonomy and agency somehow, and seems to have echoes of our own government's behaviour, treating people as statistics. I would welcome also more information on the Christian position on bodily resurrection. Is this still believed? If it is, then it is the, is it the actual physically, um, physical earthly remains that are believed to be resurrected? Or is it our body made manifest in the afterlife? Has this view changed over time? Did medieval people believe one thing but Victorians another? Feels rather relevant to the work I do. In a similar vein, what would your views be on pre-Christian burials? Obviously these remains are also treated well but I suppose I'm asking whether there are Neolithic farmers in heaven. Then he asked, are there any prayers we could u- he could use? Uh, one to prepare himself when faced with this element, one for the person whose rest is to be disturbed. Um, somehow these topics weren't uh, covered in Sunday school. Thanks for your podcast again. So Daniel, since you're about to leave, do you want to mm. take that on? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think, um, you know, the first thing I would say is, thank goodness you're disturbed you know, and unsettled because around these matters, we should be sensitive and to be insensitive or to have no regard, yeah, 
sorry, uh, from uh, Daniel was just having a um, sorry, just do um, uh, so yeah, there, there is a sensitivity to that that, that needs to be um, addressed, and those who are completely insensitive to that. There's a, there's a real loss, I think, in that. I mean, you see this, I find this even in places like the British Museum, where you see, you know, skeletons of Egyptians and what have you. I, I always feel a, there's a certain sadness that a human being is now an exhibit. Yeah. Mm. Um, so um, that, that, that would be my, that would be my sort of starting point to say, if you're feeling something and, and I, in your gut, then you're probably right, um, and you're probably the right person to be doing it. Yeah, uh, I think it's it's fair to say that that on if if it is for a, a infrastructure or the removal of uh, you know if if then it is certainly the right thing to be doing, even if they even if their graves are being disturbed. Because I imagine they'd rather uh, have them be reburied than than sort of have a have a truck. Um, uh, dig them up sort of completely un unsensitively um the, the the question about neolithic farmers in interests me actually um and, and i think uh i think there's a really good question about humanity before christ there um and 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 one that continues about humanity who haven't had the chance to hear the gospel on on this earth um and i and i, and I think that that we can't be certain for certain uh we can't say anything definitively but i think god god would have mercy on them and that it is possible that we will, will find people who have um, done their best to live according to their own conscience um uh in heaven uh, who haven't had a chance to hear uh hear the gospel daniel's gonna go i think daniel okay. thank you so much thank you daniel okay, god bless guys see you again soon cheerio uh, so that's so that's a really good question, and uh, you know, and and certainly we we know um, that those uh, that those righteous <laughs> you know those righteous figures in the Old Testament w are saved through Christ's righteousness because um, they believed uh, they believed in God's promise, um, which uh, which is uh, which which is enough. Um, uh, Jamie, do you want to say anything? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I always want to say things, Tom. Um, yeah, I mean, I agree. I agree with what you've said, uh, of course. And I think in, um, I was thinking about Roman, I don't, shamefully, I don't have my Bible with me on, at the moment, but in Romans chapter two, um, the apostle Paul talks about the way that the Gentiles um, went outside of the law can be a law unto themselves. And I think that that's applicable here because um, God has written the law, as it were, on our consciences. And so we can actually respond to God through our conscience and we can respond to God through acknowledging the existence of God through, um, through creation, which is something that the apostle says in the first chapter of Romans. So I think there, there definitely is a way uh, for people to acknowledge God if they've not heard the gospel. And um, also I think, you know, the sort of principle that I'd use there is that um, uh, we can, we know we are saved through Christ. We, we, we know that, but we don't know that people can't be saved through Christ in a way which is which is different to you know the sort of um, you know the the active profession you know so we're talking about people who've never heard the gospel um, people who've never come into contact with Christianity or the church is there a way that Christ could save them um, outside of that that sort of um, infrastructure yes but 
at the same time, we shouldn't rely on that. Um, we should still preach the gospel because that's the, that's the way we know that people are saved. Um, and I think that the other thing I want to say is when he says, uh, I mean, this paragraph is basically asking for a full kind of historical um, uh, theology of, of uh, the of resurrection. The body. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the body. Um, so, so yeah, we do, we do believe in the resurrection and um, I, d um, I don't, the view hasn't, the actual, the Orthodox Christian view hasn't, hasn't changed at all, I would say, since the writing of the New Testament. Uh, and if you, if the, the classic chapter to read is 1 Corinthians 15, uh, where, where Paul, Paul makes most manifest and clear his, his doctrine of bodily resurrection. But yeah, essentially, um, our resurrection, our bodily resurrection, will be patterned after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, uh, who, who very much was bodily res resurrected, so we will be as well. Um, a, a lot of the time these days, Christians do have a kind of platonic idea of the afterlife, which is like your soul goes to heaven to be with God, and, um, and then that's it. But that's an incomplete view. Uh, because uh, our soul and our body will be united I mean, in the resurrection. Uh, yeah, sorry, sort of, yeah sorry, sorry. go on, Tom. No, go I was on. just going to say, it's, it's not so much wrong as as is not the whole picture, because cause the Bible definitely tells, uh, sort of, the book of Revelations talks about a heaven uh, where we will be, you know, where, where the saved will be until the world is remade, and then and then resurrection happens again. So, so um. So it's not necessarily the case, you know, uh, that it's wrong. It's just that it's not, it's not a full, uh, yeah, a, a full you. account of, of, of how our humanity will be fully. Um, there's this kind of, uh, there's a, almost a Gnostic idea has crept in over the years. Uh, and when I say Gnostic idea, I mean that, that matter is somehow bad. Uh, and I guess um, it's, kind of, it's quite platonic. It's quite Greek. Um, the, the, the sort of physical realm is furthest away from God and that our spirits are more godly and will we'll go to heaven. Uh, but actually, the, the promises of Christianity are far bigger than that. It, they promise a, a complete remaking, a renewing uh, in the resurrection of, of everything that we are, not just our spirits, but our, our body, our souls and, and, uh, and our spirit. Um, which yeah. Are kind of, yeah. It's a total redemption of the person, not just of your soul. Your body doesn't just rot in the ground, but God redeems your body as well through Christ. And in the book of Revelation, there's an analogy there, isn't there, between the, you know, the heavenly city coming down to earth and earth and heaven becoming one. And, you know, the souls of the, the souls of the faithful departed uniting, as it were, with their resurrected bodies and also becoming one. So the, the, the final kind of vision of a redeemed creation is of heaven and earth becoming one soul and body becoming one mankind being united with God, the dwelling place of God being, um, being among men, you know, this, 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 um, this coming together, this completeness, this, this sort of uh, holistic vision. Um, and the other thing I was just going to say is that um, uh, our first episode, uh, which we actually put out a couple of weeks ago as a, as a repost uh, replay, classic replay, uh, we called fear of death and um, the whole first half of that episode we we did we hadn't really <laughs> we hadn't uh, sorted out the structure for the show yet it, was, it wasn't like this one uh, we the whole first half of the show was just us talking about theology of resurrection um, so you might want to listen to that um, if you if you if, if you'd like to know more I think the the thing about the actual discomfort with doing the the excavation or the internment sorry I, I mean, I do, I do appreciate, I do appreciate that. I was thinking like, is there a kind of, is it, 
is it something which is is wrong as such disrespectful i don't really know to be honest with you i mean I, I'm, I'm not really sure i don't think it's a kind of a grave moral sin um if it's if it's if it's necessary and it's done sensitively and 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 so on and like daniel said i think it's obviously it's a good thing to respect the dignity of a, of a human body um and I, I guess the other thing i'd say as well is that presumably this is common now for people to be disinterred you know moved from place to place um and maybe maybe it's happening too much maybe it's happening willy-nilly but the fact is is it is happening i suppose one has to evaluate whether one is happy to be part of that industry in inverted commas or not and if you are then to do it in the most sensitive and and um and respectful way possible um and the thing about the thing about prayers um I, I don't, I just, sort of nothing really springs to mind, Tom, but I don't know what you, I don't know what you think, but maybe, maybe people could give us some suggestions or. Yeah. I mean, really... there, there are obviously, there are, there are appropriate prayers for the reburial, but we've already sort of covered that. Um, Cause you know, we'll just do them according to the rights of the, that they, they anticipated when they, when they were first buried. Um, I mean, if, if, if it, so we could give you christian uh, sort of christian prayers if, if you if you if you want them and you know do do i'm sure i think daniel might might send you an email um but if he doesn't then i'll happily write one um but i yes i, I i'm not sure what would a, an appropriate prayer would be to pray over um the the, the, the sort of um the, the the grave of the remains of a neolithic pagan um <laughs> to be honest i think that's a really hard question to answer um I mean, he I God, talks God. about prayers for himself as well, doesn't he? Mm. Um, I just did a quick um, uh, Google and I got up a, a liturgy from the Diocese of Leicester for the um, reinternment of uh, Richard III. Um, well, there's quite a lot of, uh, yes, that was an interesting one, wasn't it? Um, because uh, there's sort of melded Catholic and Anglican uh, traditions together there, didn't they? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, that's interesting. And there's quite a nice, uh, there's a collect at the end, which appears to be quite nicely written, actually. Maybe, maybe uh, Jay could, could adapt that. Um, so, yeah, well, that was a really interesting, um, really interesting email. And uh, as I say, if anyone's got any sort of uh, further comments to email us, um, irreverentpod at gmail.com. Oh, sorry. Is that it? That is right. Yeah, yeah. Our email address now. Honestly, there's so many things swimming around in my head, contact-wise. Irreverentprod at gmail.com, um, if anyone's got anything they want to say about that. Um, yeah, Tom, I'm going to have to go in for my uh, din-dins in a minute. I think I'm having sausages tonight, which I'm really excited about. But um, just a few... Sorry, did you want to, you want to go for something? No, just... no, 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 go, go ahead. Yeah, just, just, some, just some notices. Um, if uh, you enjoyed this podcast and you'd like to support us, you can join our Patreon community, patreon.com forward slash irreverent and it's uh, it's great to have so many people on there thank you so much for supporting us you can support us from as little as three pounds plus vat per month now, there is plus vat on three pounds that will be 60p uh so it's three pounds 60 uh if you'd like to support us and join the patreon community it's quite a good way actually of keeping in touch because we're, we're often on there posting stuff and um it's, it's a good way to sort of get in touch with us directly uh we've got a telegram channel irreverent faith and current affairs Twitter at Irreverent Pod. And of course, there's our sermon audio sister podcast where we just put a, a sermon out 
every week uh, for the coming Sunday, just for some spiritual, hopefully spiritual nourishment for our listeners. Um, and that's um, irreverendsermonaudio.buzzsprout.com, irreverendsermonaudio.buzzsprout.com. So you can, you, can, you can get our sermons there. And as I say, email the show, anything you like, uh, reverendpod at gmail.com. So that's, those are the notices, Tom. Um, Thank you, everyone. Yes. Uh, and... Shall we say a prayer? Yeah, I, I think it's your turn, Jamie. So uh, I never do the prayers. Actually. I know you never do the prayers. You should. You should. Uh... Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's let's pray, Tom. So let us pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this conversation and for the many things that we've been able to discuss. We particularly pray for your blessing on Jay as he negotiates his way with the uh, situation with the disinterment. We pray that you give him wisdom and guidance. We commit this situation with the vaccination program and the children's vaccination, all these things into your hands, asking that your will would be done and that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven, particularly in this issue. We pray that you would protect the people of this earth, bring about an end to this pandemic and the chaos surrounding it very, very soon. We pray for everyone who's, especially who's anxious or in any way fearful, or worried, or hurting, or in loss for whatever reason as a result of what's going on. We pray that you would draw them close to you and comfort their hearts. Pray for all our listeners, for your blessing to be upon them, and that you would draw them close to you in the right way for each person who's listening. And so we thank you and praise you, gracious Lord in heaven, through Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And bless everyone who's been listening to this podcast. Yeah, we hope you enjoy it. Do share it around. And we look forward to being with you next week, for sure. Thank you so much, Tom. Pleasure, Jamie. God bless. God bless. Bye now.